So glad that you're here. I heard multiple people say, nice to meet you. That's really nice. I met some new, new friends tonight. I'm thankful to get to meet you guys. Um, welcome to church. Welcome to church. I'm so glad that you've joined us here tonight. My name is Brian Williams, and shortly um, I'll be joined by Sarah Sirwinski in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah, Sarah. People like you. Um, so uh, <laughs> tonight, tonight's going to look a little bit different than our norm. Uh, I just kind of want to get that up front. So especially if you're new here, if this is your first time here, this isn't kind of our normal rhythm. This looks a little bit different. Um, we usually have a time of announcements, and even just what we're doing tonight and what we're talking about, it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to take more time than we normally do for the sermon because Sarah and I just think that we need to do that. We need to dive into the stuff that we're going to talk about tonight um, and take the time necessary to actually wrestle through it. So uh, for those of you who were here last week um, or over these past couple weeks, you've probably known that we've been in a series called uh, Hate What Is Evil, Cling to What Is Good, right? We all memorized that verse. <laughs> uh, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. All right, we got it. I got it. Uh, we've been in this series, and, and, and at the heart of it is just trying to talk about the realities that, that God calls us into, into hating certain things, but it's not to hate them just for hate's sake. But it's actually, it's actually to be like, I don't want that because it keeps me from the thing that is better. And to actually cling to the good thing, to hold tight to it and to not let go of it. And to do everything we can to hold on to it because it's what's best. And anything that gets in the way of that, just shedding it and being willing to let go of it. And last week, Brian Howard, he spoke about, he talked about the story of Samson and he talked about lust. And it was a meaningful and impactful evening. I know for a lot of people, there was a pretty big response in, in different ways, and clearly it's something that we need to talk about. And so I'm so thankful to get to work alongside Sarah and just the heart, the tender heart that she has towards the Lord and for every one of you. And on Friday, she sent me a text that just said, I think we need to come back to this and spend more time in it. And I was making breakfast for the kids and whatnot, and was just like, okay, Lord, what do you have to say? And it just was so clear. It's the, yes, we need to come back to this. And, and this process of just trusting that he will provide what we need to speak about. Um, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here tonight. I believe you will be blessed through this evening. I think you will be better off for having been, th been here and heard what is going to be shared and the things we're going to go through. Um, it doesn't mean that they'll all be easy, but I think it all is good. So um, I'll invite Sarah up in a moment, but before I do that... Um, I just want to, uh, so we both have our computers up here because, hey, did you guys know we don't just make stuff up? We like actually like plan and work on stuff. So yeah, so um, we have notes and we're going to be running through that because there's a lot of things we want to say and there's a lot of things that we want to say it a certain way. So we're going to make sure that we say it well um, or do our best, Lord willing. And so I just want to set us up for, for what's going to happen as we discuss this and, and kind of set the stage for um, the reality of uh, what sex and sexuality is all about. So at the heart of it, at its very core, the cords of sexual intimacy are not purely physical. And for some of you, you're like, yeah, well, duh, of course not. But we need to dive into the reality of that. The cords of sexual intimacy are not purely physical. They are purely relational. Through and through, they are purely relational. And if you train a dog to respond only to the sound of a whistle over and over and over, and the day comes when you call the dog by name and desire for the dog to come happily bounding to you, wagging its tail because you are there, 
I think you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed for the dog only knows the whistle. It has no affection for you. It has no knowledge of the person behind the whistle. Like how, how shallow, how sad to have trained him into such transactional, empty experience of you. So it is with sex. Like training oneself into the shallowness and transactional emptiness of a self-centered orgasm robs a person. It robs a person. It robs not just yourself, but others. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. That sexuality is multifaceted and it's entirely relational to the core. That, that when we reduce it to the carnal desire and act upon in a disordered way, it trains you. It literally forms the mental pathways in your brain for a shallow, whistle-like response, and it deadens a person to the depths of what it could be. Like a skewed sexual perception warps relationships, even those that have no, no erotic uh, sexual components because it trains us to view others shallowly and selfishly. At the core of what we're talking is this, that our sexual identity is a relational identity. And I mean biblically, like it's all throughout the Bible, but even just think of that phrase, you've probably all heard it, right? Like, oh, well, he knew her. And I mean like biblically, Right? Oh, they knew one each other, like biblically. Why? Because that's how it's described in the Bible, especially in the beginning of the Torah. It talks about knowing. He and the, he and a man and a woman went and they knew one another. It talks about that on purpose. It says it that way on purpose. God knows what he's saying and why he says it. See, deep down, if we get to the root of to know, all the way down to the root of it, in the Hebrew, we, we see it as to it is to perceive. It is to be in a process of deeper understanding. It is relational. Like it is knowing and aligning emotionally. It is being secure in complete vulnerability with one another. Vulnerable in emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically. Like after God brought the first man and woman together, we have this beautiful expression of pure intimacy. I love this verse. Genesis 2.25 the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Like, in other words, they had nothing to hide. They had nothing to hide from one another. Nothing physically, nothing mentally, nothing spiritually, nothing emotionally. They were not embarrassed or ashamed in each other's presence. They lived in a holistic embrace of one another. And only in covenant with the lifelong mutual pursuit of faithfulness can such relational security be found. And sex in its relationally aligned place, is, is a, it's a hearkening back to that moment in Eden as God designed it to be. Uh, to think rightly about our sexuality, which is the relational nature of who we are and how we were created, to think rightly about it. It equips us to have a sexual ethic that has no inclination towards repression nor to hedonistic celebration. I'll say that again. If we think rightly about how God created us and set us up to be sexual beings through and through our entire lives. When we think rightly about it, relationally, it equips us to have a sexual ethic that has no inclination towards repression, nor to hedonistic celebration. Like it is health. It is, it is an integrated identity, and it, and it can come into play. It's meant to come into play in all circumstances, married, single, or celibate. Now, this is what we're going to talk about tonight. So, uh, Sarah, if you want to come on up and I'll move a chair. 
Yeah, clap for Sarah. You know, um, as she sits, there's a couple other things I want to say um, before we start. So, so I guess the first thing, like, as we continue this, I just want to say that God desires the best for us. Yeah. God desires the best for us, for every one of us. And there's no such, uh, there's so much good to be experienced in this life when we embrace what God created and designed. Like through and through, that is where we will find the best things. And his direction is, and his instruction about who we are will be found when we embrace what he says of us. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, like, I'm up here, I am a married man. And uh, for some of you, you might, like, have this thought that it's easy for me to speak on this stuff from a place of contentment with, with how God made things and what he calls us into because I'm a married man. Because, like, oh, you've arrived, Brian. And I just want to correct that from the very beginning, that I think that's coming out of, out of a lie. Yeah. I think that's coming out of something that's, that's not accurate to how things actually are, because the, the physical act of sex is not the pinnacle of human experience. Mm-hmm. It's not. Like, the physical act of sex is not the pinnacle of human experience. Relationship is. Yeah. Through and through, relationship is. Like like a depth of relationship full of mutual, sacrificial love and joy. That is the pinnacle of human experience. And that is what God desires for each one of us above anything else and everything else. That is what he desires for us. And the act of sex serves two main purposes. And the first is obvious, right? Procreation. Like, you know, that's kind of how it works. Hey, it could have been news. Oh, <laughs> if, okay. Later. If you're this age and that's news... We should talk more. There's some more things you need to know. <laughs> the second thing is, is that it, it, it's securing and safeguarding a couple in the covenant of, covenant of marriage. Yeah. Like the physical act of sex is not the pinnacle of human experience. Relationship is. And that's true whether you're single, married, or celibate. The, like, like the best that God has to offer is entirely available to you. Entirely available to you. So with that in mind, how about we start, Sarah, just talking about like this idea that a sexual identity is a relational identity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Brian kind of talked about this earlier, this word in scripture, it's called yada. So yada. I didn't say that. You didn't say it, but it's the Hebrew word for to know. And we see it in like Genesis 425, where it's like Adam knew his wife. And it seems to be like, oh, that's a euphemism, right? But no, this is a very intentional word, because if we look in other places in scripture, it's actually the same word used to describe God's knowledge of us. So if you're like, whoa, Sarah, you're saying God is sexual in nature, it's like, yeah, in a way, actually, maybe not in the erotic sense, but if we're made in the image of God, there's something about us, like me as a single person, that was made to be sexual. Like Brian Howard talked about last week, of like, we are sexual beings, let's start there. But it's beautiful, because like that same word, yadah, Adam knew his wife. Same thing in Genesis 18, 19. For I, God, have known him. And he's talking about Abraham. I've known him. So it goes back to this idea of there's this relationship that goes beyond anything that's physical and actually goes into the whole being of a person. And I think considering tonight, some part of the reason we wanted to have this conversation furthered was just kind of the realization of like, we joke about this a lot, but like we are a room full of mostly single people. So whether you're in a relationship or like if you are not married, like I'm just going to consider that single, right? Like mm-hmm. you are no, you are not married at this moment. So I think it's really important to address the fact that whether you're in a relationship or not, whether you feel like you're close to marriage or not, or you might be single for the rest of your life, which okay, don't get too scared, but like 
that there's fulfillment and there's actually a sexual ethic for you. And I was talking to some friends, and we found some great resources, but there's this one woman named Julie Slattery, and she has a podcast. It's called Java with Julie. Stay with me, guys. It's for men, too. Um, (laughs) But she uses this incredible description of sexuality, and she says this. She describes sexuality as the desire to move towards people, the desire for intimate connection. Now, like, who in here doesn't have that desire, right? So tonight, like, when we talk about sexuality, what I really want us to start, like, reprogramming our brains to think about is when we hear it, it's not just erotic. It's relational. There's components to this. Eroticism is an element of sexuality, of course, but it's not the whole. And we'll talk about that later. It actually, it serves the whole in the right context. But married or not, we're called higher to acknowledge and cultivate this type of sexual experience or acknowledge of this nature inside of us that's God-given now, even without the context of a, like erotic outlet or environment. And on, on her podcast, she was interviewing this guy. His name is Dr. Doug Rosenau. So he is past now, but he was a, like a leading Christian sex therapist. These exist because sex is important in the church. Um, and he talked to a lot of different single people about like, what does it look like to express your sexuality as a single person, as an unmarried person? And he, I think he gave some really good tips. I'm just going to kind of share some of the things he talked about. But he talks about like, we as people, like, we can swing to one end of the pendulum or the other, right? And I think I've been on both ends of either like being hypersexual and trying to dance around, the, around this line of like, well, I'm not sleeping with someone, but I'm trying to like fulfill kind of these shallow sexual needs, or I'm not interacting with anyone of the opposite gender that I'd be attracted to because I'm like, I'm afraid of like playing with this fire. But he talks about that inside of us, like there's needs for things like non-sexual touch, like hugs, right? Like guys, you need hugs throughout the day. And some of you might be like, I don't love physical touch or like I like physical touch too much. But like these are natural, normal things. Like just because you're single does not mean you could be like, hey, I need a hug today. Or I need someone just like sit with like a hand on my shoulder. Like that's healthy. That's part of our nature to need physical connection. Another thing is like he talks about there's this genderedness to sexuality. Like there's a genderedness. Like we can have this conversation and we'll talk more about this later. But like Brian is like one of my good friends. Like he is my brother. And we have a really healthy relationship because of how we've lived our lives, because of the ways we pursue purity and boundary. But you, like the maleness in you, like as a brother, when you affirm me, like there's days where like he'll just be like, I think you're great. Or like you are so kind to always like thank me for things or like tell me I'm beautiful. Things that are like, that affirm like the femininity or like the female in me. And like, I need that as a single person. And I need, you know, we can get that from other singles. We can get that from safe marrieds, like if there's boundary there. But we have this need like in our genderedness to receive from the opposite sex and to have a relationship like that and to be affirming without going to this like erotic place or this like deviant sexual place, if that makes, if you're tracking with me here. And I think like there is a freedom in singleness that we don't often talk about of like we kind of get to explore some of that gray area with other single people of like you meet someone, Mm -hmm. you're affirming them, you're excited, like there's mutual like excitement in their personality and you're, you know, vibing with each other. Um, And there is sexual attraction because hello, like just because you're single doesn't mean you have the erotic sexual attraction towards people, just that's news to no one. Um, but there's this ability to be with people in a way where you're like, okay, we could establish a further relationship or not. And that, that ends, like there's further boundary when you get married. But there's a freedom too of like, you know, I can hang out with guy friends 
in a different context than you can maybe hang out with female friends. So I think there's this, this part of a singleness in our sexuality that is safe to express. And this even goes into the area of like showing healthy interest or flirting or even just not being mm-hmm. afraid to affirm the opposite gender and like yeah. being confident enough in who you are, healthy enough in who you are to be like, man, I can tell a brother, like, you look handsome today, and it feels good to be told I look beautiful, or, like, I did a good job speaking tonight, you know? There's things I think we shy away from because we've so overly erotically sexualized mm-hmm. male and female friendships, and I think to come back to that place, even in order to have just regular friendships, let alone marriages, let alone dating relationships. So in all realms, it takes self-control. It takes the same level, the same kind mm-hmm. of, like, backdrop of seeing these, rela- these sexual interactions as relational and then knowing how to navigate through the type of commitment around that, whether it's singleness or dating or marriage. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll just, tonight, through as we go about, I'm going to talk uh, one in two ways. One, as the married man. I know I'm not the only one in here, but I think it's important to accurately portray what we're aiming for and to share that. And that informs not just where you might one day arrive, but where you currently are. Yeah. Um, also to correct some things, because I think there's some misconceptions. Yeah. So I think it's important to correct those as well. And we're going to talk about singleness and all of the like, self-control, this stuff. It's so, oh my gosh, we have so much to talk about. But I guess I'll just say, I'll just say, like, even in a healthy marriage, even in a healthy marriage, it takes pursuit. It takes, like, intentionality. It takes, it takes a drive and a focus to drag sexual desire for the other out of the doldrums of selfishness and into the glory of selfless vulnerability and mutual joy. Mm. It takes work. It's a continued thing. And, like, God knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing, that, that like what I do as a married man in my relationship with my wife is the same thing that I needed to do before I was a married man. Yeah. The same thing I needed to do when my wife and I were dating. The same thing I need to do now as a married man with my wife. The same thing I need to do as a married man with my friends who are not my wife. <laughs> the same things are at play. And, and like God knew what he was doing. And, and when I conform my awareness of sexuality to God's design for it, I'm strengthened and equipped to discern what to do with it in any and every situation. Yeah. And, and like what Sarah's driving at, what she's talking about, uh, kind of comes around to like if, if sexuality is relational, then it, what does that mean? <laughs> like what do we do with that? And at the mm-hmm. core of it, it's self, is it self-centered or is it other fo- others-focused? Are we being selfish or are we aiming for something else? Like we often think of our sexuality while single as like a waiting game, like some yeah. sort of like tightrope walk until we reach that rooftop of marriage where we can just run around freely, naked and unashamed. Like, oh, no. I knew you were like, going to take it there. I just knew. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe for the honeymoon, but it's awkward. Uh, but like here's the reality, like God creating us as sexual beings and giving us a sexual ethic within which we will thrive it is not just so that one day we can have a thriving marriage. Right. It's, it's so that now, just as much as for then, we can have a thriving life of relationship and deep connection. Yes. 
Like, like the thought that your future spouse, of your future spouse, that might be your motivation for like acknowledging your sexuality, managing it in the present moment. And that's not a bad motivation, but that's really only for that future moment. I think it falls short for the present. Yes. Because then it's like, what if now? And there's something so much importance, of so much importance. God doesn't desire us to like, he has such good things, don't miss out on it. <laughs> like, don't miss out on it. Like awareness of your sexuality and self-control, it, mm-hmm. it provides this like blessing for the present moment too. Yeah. And God made you for sexuality. Yeah. And, and not just for the marriage bed. Like it's relational. It's relational now for each and every one of you, just as it will be then if that day comes. And so for me... Like for Sarah and I, like mm-hmm. what she was talking about, like practical examples. It's for, yeah. I think it's really important to have practical. We can talk theoretically, but practical, right? Like Love the antidotes. So like Sarah. I'm the antidote. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so like for me to look at Sarah mm. and, and not see you as your physical features alone. Like, yeah. But to look at you and see your eyes, to see your soul, to see you as a woman of God, to mm-hmm. see you uh, as a dearly loved child of God with hurts and pains and triumphs and sorrows and life experience. Yeah. And like that God has hopes and dreams and joys and, and purposes for you. When, mm-hmm. I, when I see you, all of you, and, and your physical features are just, are just accents of who you are, mm-hmm. not the totality of who you are then when I have that in view, I'm freed to relationally, like actually love you, yeah. to, to serve yeah. you, to appreciate you mm-hmm. as a child of God. Like I'm freed to actually engage with you and appreciate you rightly. Right. And, and, that, and that is a practice of sexuality and singleness yeah. or marriage. It's like both. It, it sets a person up for, for that pinnacle of human experience, which is deep relationships full of mutual sacrificial love and joy. Right. We need to see the whole person. Yeah. Like, like, I want deep relationships full of mutual sacrificial love and joy. Mm-hmm. And it cannot be served. Like, those sorts of relationships, they can be served by the erotic. But only when it's self-controlled and holistically selfless. And that's true in marriage and in singleness. And, but it's also important to note that the opposite is not true. Mm-hmm. Those sorts of relationships cannot serve the erotic. You can't have the erotic serving a relationship like that. It will fail. It yeah. goes the other way around. Yeah. God created it the other way. Yeah. I, I just think that's so important. Yeah. No, and I think I think the point that you're, you're driving home here too is like there's no true relationship and objectification. Like what do you do when you objectify something, whether it's like a person or like literally an object, like you're dehumanizing it. You're saying, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to use this as a tool for whatever my ends or purpose is. And I think, like, as I was, like, thinking about today and talking about, like, both, like, relationally intimate, like, friendships and sex within marriage, it's like, doesn't it make sense that the enemy would go for this? Like, doesn't it make sense that he would put this division between humans and be like, you know what, I'm going to go for the core of human relationship with God and others, like, let's look at the beginning of scripture. Like, he puts animosity between man and woman and man and God. 
So let's be awake to this. Like the picture, like if we're told that marriage is supposed to be like the picture of Christ in the church or that the body of Christ is like the bride of Christ, like we are the bride of Christ. Like let's be awake to how the enemy would scheme against us to destroy this. And I think sex, especially like the world's view of erotic sex, like it's corroding our relationships. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just saying that as like someone on my high horse who's like, man, wonder what that's like. Like, I have been on both sides of the coin. Like I have hurt and others and I've been hurt by just getting that wrong, by disordering what that means and kind of letting the enemy like inform how my relationships are to go through objectification. And I think like... Yeah, objectification is like the complete opposite of what God's aiming at. It's literally the opposite because like to know the whole person and to be loved as a whole person, like that's being loved in the image of God and that's freeing. That's a full, whole life. And like, I think something just like in that, it's so easy to even be like, well, yeah, don't objectify other people. But I just want to talk really briefly about like self-objectification because I think this one's like really sneaky. Like, it's easy to be like, well, don't objectify that man or woman. But what happens when we're in a culture where suddenly we're elevating sex, erotic sex as God? Like, this isn't part of my story where I just start seeing myself, like, as I'm valuable for as attractive as I am to a man. I'm as valuable. And suddenly women around me are competition. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, like, I, in a relationship, know that, like, the most potent thing I could do is, like, attract sexual attention. And that just like, I mean, it's like self dehumanizing, you know, like that's me forgetting who I am as like a daughter of Christ. But it also like inadvertently, that's where my objectification comes from. It doesn't even necessarily have to be sexual. It can be comparative. Mm-hmm. And it just starts to like pit ourselves. I think anything outside of like God's view and purpose and design for things will pit ourselves against others. It will divide the church, it will divide mm-hmm. the body of Christ. So I think there's just some, like, simple questions we could ask, like, if you're like, I don't know if I'm doing that. It's a good question. Yeah, like, one is, like, do you view view yourself only through the lens of your brokenness? Do you view yourself only through the places where you're like, I'm falling short here. This person has this. And, like, it can be aesthetic or it could be deeper than that. And, like, do you self-objectify because that's how you view others? Like, I can just, like, take a moment to be like, what's the first thing I noticed about someone? Maybe someone of the opposite gender. Maybe someone I would be attracted to. Are you like, that is a person? And it's okay to admire beauty. It's okay to like admire and be like, wow. And we'll, and we'll share some stories about that. But there's this line here, and I think we have to be careful about our internal thought life before we even start talking about like, I mean, pointing the finger at other people, but also being like, let's take an inventory of our lens. So yeah, I just think like, man, I know I've allowed that to be to skew my view of myself and others. And it started more just like with myself and bled out. Mm-hmm. It just overflows. Yeah. Uh, this is so good because also if we view, when we internalize objectification, when we think like, oh, they're going to, what they want from me, I will give them because then I get what I want from them. Like. That's a transaction. It's a transaction and you're not actually going to get what you want. Right. Like what we all want is to be known. What we all want is that deepness of connection. And that, and yet I think internally we all know that it won't be achieved that way. But it's like, well, if I do this, then maybe it will lead to that. Mm. Like It's like we're trying to like knock down the door. But God's saying like, hey, just, just like be patient and knock. <laughs> like, like I have a better way. 
and it, actually maybe it's a whole nother door. Yeah. It's an entirely different door that's so much better. Yeah. Like you're sharing an example. That yeah, is okay. more specific. Yeah. Maybe talk about like what how do you like what's a way to even like reframe that? Yeah. So okay, this is good. Um like a sense uh, to seek to know the other, right? Like not just physically, but holistically to personalize the experience. Like that's, okay, to personalize the experience. That's what makes like marital sexual intimacy so rich and fulfilling when you personalize the experience. And the same is true in every other relationship. <laughs> like when you personalize the experience of whatever it looks like, that's, that, that's what makes it so rich and fulfilling. It's mm -hmm. about actually being about the person. Right. And, and when we are single or married, like, it's the same. I talked about this already, right? Like, I'm a married man, but you know what? The same things that were at play when I was single are still at play in my life because I only have one wife, and there's a whole lot of you. Like, there's so many, like, there's all, millions of women who are not my wife, so I need to operate with them in the same way I did with, when I was single. It's actually no different. There's only one woman in the whole world that anything changed for me with. Mm. With everyone else, it's all the same. And so this practice doesn't end. It's constant. I need to constantly be, be in this space of saying, Lord, help me be in alignment with what this is all about. Mm. It doesn't change. And so often I think we project that like, oh, when I get there, it'll be so different. Like, no. It's habit like, forming. We have to form the, the habits now. Yeah. And so like you're talking about an example. And so um, how do we do this? What does this look like? And this is just one example and uh, I, think, I think of this, and I hope it's helpful, like when, okay, so I worked at a camp called Forest Home, great place. I oversaw the recreation and all the stuff, so I oversaw like everything fun or dangerous, and um, it was awesome. I loved that job. I had lots of people who would come and work for me in the summers, like the team of people that would come in and rotate out, and um, like I... There was lots of wonderful women who came into my life while I worked at Forest Home. Women who loved Jesus. Amazing women. And, and like, what do I do with that? <laughs> was a constant thing that I had to deal with and navigate. And, and I hope this is instructive in some, in some way. Um, like, so this one story in particular. I worked at Forest Home. This is before I even knew Amy, who's my wife. It's before we were even dating. And I wasn't dating anyone. And, and, so that's just some context. And there's these two girls that I remember, two women who, who worked for me, and they were good friends, and, and they were lifeguards at the lake. And they were wonderful women, like full of joy and gentleness. They were very personable. They loved Jesus so beautifully. They were amazing women. And I remember walking by the lake, and, and they were in the boat shack, and I had the thought about how wonderful they both were and how beautiful they both were. And like... In that moment, that attraction could have gone erotic. Mm -hmm. It could have. But, but I willfully chose something else. Mm -hmm. Like I willfully, I captured that thought. And I was like, what do I do with this? Mm. And so this is something that I think is a part of just who I am and what God is. It's something I've always done in general is like God's built me, I think, to be an encourager. But that's something that I just moved that into. Like I willfully chose something else. And I went over to them in the boat shack and, you know, like, how are things going? Everything all right? You know, and nobody drowned. Great. And, and then I just told them how much I appreciated them. 
Yeah. And I just said, like, like, I'm so thankful for your kindness to those around you. Like, like I'm thankful for your joy. I'm thankful for how much you love God. And I, and I shared how truly beautiful they are, like both inside and out, and, and that whomever God brings into their life to be their husbands will truly be blessed men. Mm. And I just told them, I just want to encourage you. That's all. I just wanted to encourage you with that. And I left it at that. Yeah. And, and it was edifying, like, all around. Like, all-around blessing. Yeah, because what did that do, like, in your heart? Because I think, like, on the receiving end, like, they might have not even known the narrative inside your brain. I had no idea. But, like, what, yeah, like, what is that allowed Uh, for you? It, like, it takes that, oh, my gosh, it's just, it's wonderful. (laughs) Like, there's freedom in it because there's something to practice. Yes. Practice builds in, like, like, so often we're like, well, I need to desire it, and then I'll do it. Mm, but so often we need to reverse that. Both are true. There's times where we just like, we want to be authentic. We want to be sincere, but there's other times where we just need to do the thing and then we'll desire it rightly. Yes. And so that, what it did is it just like set me free. Like it brought them such joy. They were so blessed and I was so blessed. It was like, oh Lord, you got you. Like that was wonderful. Like I could see on their faces and in their countenance, like that lifted their spirits. Mm. That like raised them up. And it, and it inspired in me to think of them, continue to think of them in that way. Yeah. To be like, yes, Lord, thank you for this, for this good thing. And I pray it, it like is, other people will come to appreciate them for how wonderful they are. Mm-hmm. And that's, all, that's as far as it went. Wow. Like that, that in a way is like sexuality in, a, in action, in singleness. It's like I saw something that was good, that was beautiful. And rather than, than driving it towards eroticism, I, I, dry, I drove it towards relationship. Yeah. I actually went to them. I didn't just wrestle with them on my own. I went to them and I said, this is what I see. And it like freed me of that initial thought or that initial struggle, I guess, because it's like I suddenly engaged relationally with them. Yeah, and, and selflessly like, ah, expecting nothing in return. Yes. Because I think that's, that's the primary the difference is like that's I'm going to get something out of this. And I think that's where, like, honestly, flirting can go south. I'm just going to say it right now. But, yeah. like, where, like, it's okay to yeah. flirt. Like, I'll, it's okay to flirt and be friendly and be encouraging. But I think it is, that is it. Like, checking your heart posture of, like, am I expecting something in return? Yes. Because it's, like, we're called to, like, be a blessing to others and outdo one another in honor and love. And it's, like, mm-hmm. that, can, that should inform how we flirt and encourage and interact. Yes. Like, it's, Yeah. It's not about repression. Mm-mm. Self-control is not about repression. It's about clear direction. Yeah. It's about refinement. Yeah. And it's all about selflessness in relationship. Yeah. It's all about selflessness. Yeah. You know, um, something that, like, God has clearly uh, spoken to me and over me uh, is that my, he's put me on this earth to participate in his love for whoever I come across. Mm-hmm. That's sort of like the, I don't know, the marching orders that God has given me for my yeah. life. This is my purpose till the day I die, to participate in his love for whoever he puts in front of me. Yeah. And that, that's true for anything and everything. And when I actually operate in that, and it's about actually participating in his love for that person, that yeah. means pursuing their best. That means championing, championing them Mm. That means appreciating them and valuing them and not seeking something from them for myself. Right. But giving something to them from myself. Yeah. And 
it's it's just so important. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll continue. Something else, and it goes in line with all this. This is something else that Amy and I have talked about, and um, this is present now, but I hope it's instructive as well. Like, okay, so if I notice a physical form, and and I think of her in isolation of who she is, and and I stay there, I'm missing it. Right? Mm-hmm. I think we all get that now. Like, I'm missing, I'm in the place of Matthew 5 where Jesus said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Mm-hmm. Like, my sexuality has, be, has become disordered and sinful because it's removed from relationship. And so, if I notice a physical form, it's helpful for me to remember that I know nothing of who she is. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's at a distance or anything like that, to just be like, I know nothing of who she is. I don't know anything about her. I have shared no experience with her. I have weathered no trials. I have weathered no conflicts with her. Mm -hmm. Like she has become an it, which I seek for selfish gain. And that's all. And, And such indulgence is such a far cry from the deep well of relational satisfaction and connection that God intends for me. It's such a far cry from what I have with my wife. It's so far off from it. And like, like I have this life with my, with my wife, Amy. Well, that's tricky, I guess. I have, I have this, I was going to, there's, it's, no, it's okay, okay, I'll keep going. You can keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Caught the thought. I have this, I have this whole life with Amy where like I've lived with her and I know like I've got all the forgiveness that she's shown me, all the joy, all the understanding and awareness of, I have an awareness of her strengths and her weaknesses and and she knows me in all those same ways. And all of it broadens the sexual experience into what it's meant to be. <coughs> Sorry. Okay. Like Amy and I have shared so much life. We've shared so much life with one another. And no other woman in all the world or all of creation, there's none to which I could experience intimacy like I can with her. Because... I know her, and she knows me. She has forgiven me. She has corrected me. She has cheered me on. She's encouraged me. She's confronted me. She has loved me like 1 Corinthians 13 loved me. She is committed to me for life, and I am committed to her in the same way. And for me, anything beneath that is cheap. It's foolish. Yeah. It's like, I have to remind myself of that stuff. I have to remind myself of this stuff over and over because I can't trust myself further than I can throw myself, which isn't very far. Like, we need, we need to know what we're aiming for. And when I'm aiming for that, when I have a clear vision of what I'm aiming for, I am so much quicker to cut down with little remorse those things or those thoughts that could hinder me from it. Mm. When I see what it is I want and that I can have, and I see how good it is, yeah. I'm so quick to throw aside anything that gets in the way. Yeah. Like, we got to wage war against our sin. We, we've, got to, we've got to keep going in this stuff. We've got to pursue the better yeah. and the good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that, you, like a through line <coughs> of what you're talking about is like, the battle, like, it begins in our minds, right? It begins in our hearts. And I think, like, going back to this idea of, like, okay, how how we interact with people now in a sexual nature, like, 
will either reap destruction or blessing like now. Like now as a single person, now as someone who's dating, now as someone who is married. And I think like, again, just kind of like break that thought process of like, we are in this holding pattern until we maybe arrive at eternity or marriage, which P.S., there's no marriage in heaven. And we talked about this earlier and not to be like, marriage is bad. Sorry, Brian Howard. But like, but really like if God thought it to be that important, like it would exist in eternity. Like this is a form of how we see God, but it's not the whole. It's not the whole. And I'm not just saying that as like a bitter single person. No. <laughs> I am well, I am not bitter, I'm just single. No, it's um, like there's a whole story. There's a whole story, yeah. right? Where this guy comes to Jesus and he's like, There's this lady who had seven husbands. When they get to heaven, like who will she be married to? And Jesus is like, Oh no, that's not a thing in heaven. Like, and to think like if if marriage isn't a thing in heaven, then that doesn't mean it's the ultimate thing on earth. Yeah. It does it doesn't mean it's not not beautiful and no. wonderful and purposeful. Right. It's unique. It's very unique. Yes. It's very unique. Yes. But it's not the ultimate thing. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be in heaven. Yes. There's a marriage, I guess, with Jesus yes. and his church. Yeah. It's something different, but it's good. But he's jealous for us. So, And he's jealous for us now. Like That doesn't stop when you're married, too. Like Christ will always be jealous for your heart. Like God talks mm-hmm. about this, and a jealousy only God can have. I didn't expect to talk about this, but I think this is important. Of like, it, it goes into what I actually kind of want to talk about. It's like now, single, dating, married, like something I would highly encourage us to do that like actually changed a lot for me in my own personal walk was like talk to God in safe community about your sexual desires. And I'm not just talking about sexual sin. Right? Because I think sometimes we're like, this sounds like an accountability group. But which like also not bad. Highly encourage that as well. But like talk to God about like your desire for sex. Talk to God about like it, it takes, yes, like taking every thought captive and making it submissive to Christ. But like if this is not a part of conversation like with your friends and discipleship in a healthy way. We're going to just siphon it off to like every time I talk about sex. Well, hello. Every time I talk about sex, it's like I'm repenting because I sinned. Like, we also need to reclaim this, like, glorious, again, like, state of being a sexual being. And also, like, if you're like, man, I am excited to have sex one day and get married, like, to put health back into that conversation and not just perversion and not just eroticism that you learn from a place that is not the Bible or Jesus. Like, this is God's design. It is his. Don't let anything rob that from him. Like, he gave us this really good Mm -hmm. gift and, like, again, like talk about it with God. That's freed me. I remember having a disciple in college and she sat down and was talking about life and she shared her testimony about how like she was addicted to masturbation, which that is not just a male issue. I will say it from stage. Like this is, it's a human issue. (laughs) It's a thing that humans do. Um, And I just remember sitting here and being like, there is so much freedom on this girl's life. Like Galatians 5, 5, like it's for freedom that we're set free. And then it freed me up to actually talk about like my sexual desires and my past and a healthy future. And I think like as a woman, that was really groundbreaking because I was like, is this allowed? And it's like, yeah, like we as the people of God, like this is our territory to take back because it's God's. And I think like starting with conversation with God and like safe community, having healthy conversation, like is so vital, like it's so vital. And it goes into this idea of like purity, which we're again reclaiming that word, purity movement. Um, it's a heart posture and it's a mental state. So like before it ever gets into like grading our sexual lives, like how sexually pure are you? Like it's purity just means the removal of what is harmful. 
right? And that's like, isn't that what Christ came to do? Like, his blood is enough. Like, he came to redeem and restore what sin has done in our world, the things that's corrupted and corroded, and it's so good. So, like, when we pursue purity, like, we're pursuing a life of blessing to ourselves and others. We're not pursuing this, like, pedestal to put ourselves on or a way to, like, point the finger in shame about other people. And it, it makes me think about what you have said before about Amy, about, like, we've had conversations about, like, how do you, how does marriage work? And I remember once you were like, it's not enough for you to live your life being like, I don't want to harm Amy. Like, I don't want to harm her. I don't want to be unfaithful to her. I don't want to, like, sin against her. Like, that's actually not enough. That's what this whole series is about. It's not enough to hate what is evil. That is never, like, even if you're like, I'm going to hate my sin. I'm going to wage war against my sin. If you don't have a vision of what is good, you're going to fail. Because, like, Christ is what is good. And he is our strength and our weakness. But, like, what you said was, like, it's not enough to just, like, not want to harm her. I want to bless her. I want to be a blessing to her. And I know that's how you are like in your life and relationships. And I reap that in our relationship. But like, I think the same thing comes when we think about like the purity of our hearts and our minds. It's not enough to be like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sin again. It's like, I want to be a blessing to my God. I want to be a blessing to like my brothers and sisters. Like I want to be a blessing one day. Like if I am to be married to my spouse based on the things I'm choosing now, but like I get that blessing now. Like I am not in a waiting room waiting for blessing in like the area of like sexuality. Like I get that now. And I think of like, you know, there's Matthew 5, 8, where Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the pure in the heart for they see God. Like we need to be able to see God rightly and in order to see ourselves rightly, in order to see others rightly. Like the greatest command is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength Mm -hmm. and love our neighbor as ourself. So like we got to start there. (laughs) Like if we want a healthy ethic on anything, we got to start there. And it's like, again, going back to this place of like, okay, I'm seeking blessing from my God. I'm seeking a blessed relationship with him and therefore others. And that's how I can move forward having any sort of healthy sexual ethic. Yeah. We, that was good. Thank you, Sarah. It's good stuff. Scripture like <laughs> scripture is good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it makes me think of Psalm 139. Mm. So... David, right? He's writing, and he, he writes this, Psalm 139, verse 23. He says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Verse 24. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. We live in a world that is all about hating what's evil, but mm-hmm. it has no idea what to cling to. Dang, yeah. And we're supposed to be the people who are saying, this is what you cling to. Let's be that people. Like, not just the people who say it, but the people who live it. So that, like, Paul, who, who can say in the letters, which I'm, like, always like, whoa, dang, you are <laughs> bold, man. Where he's like, hey, whatever you see me do, do it. Follow my example. That is <laughs> brave and bold. But that's the sort of people that I hope we could be. Yeah. N- not just that we can be, that's the sort of people I hope we're striving to be. Yeah. That we're actually aiming for it. I don't know that we're always aiming. Many of us are just going. Mm. We have to be people who aim. Yeah. And, and like what, what we've been talking about, like it being, this is what we're aiming for. Yeah. 
That it's not to shun the bad things and escape the consequences. Yeah. Though, like, okay, that is a worthwhile thing. Like, and there's benefit to that. If that's your motivation, like, that's better than nothing, mm-hmm. certainly. And it will save you pain and it will save others pain. But there's something better. There's yeah. something more motivating. Yeah. And that's, that's to cling to the good things, to fall more and more into alignment with the way everlasting. Mm. He does, he's, he's saying, see the offensive thing and draw me to the better, Lord. Yeah. Show me the thing that is everlasting and that is good. Yeah. And then we'll be in a place to experience the best and beautiful of life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, because we wanted to, like, we do want to talk about, like, okay, what does making war with sin actually look like? But I think before even that, just like, we need to resensitize ourselves to the things that are good. Yes. I think that sometimes like what can happen with sin, especially sexual sin, because like, you know, Corinthians 6a, it tells us like flee sexual immorality. Why? Why is this like, that's a strong flee. When's the last time you flee, like fled? It says every sin, whatever a man might do is outside the body. So most sin is outside our body, but the one sinning sexually sins against their own body. It sins against the body. There's something that is, again, more like corrosive when we sin sexually. And this is like, I'm going to throw myself in that ring. Like I've experienced the consequence of that. But it's like, okay, if this is such strong terminology, there must be something good on the other side. There must be something that is worth giving up whatever we are clinging to that is evil, right? Whatever you're giving up, like it's worth it. It's worth it. And we're just going to talk about a few different things. But like, just again, this concept of like, we cannot live passively and expect our present or future selves to be fruitful. You cannot. Because like we have an enemy and it, scripture tells us like he prowls like a roaring lion seeking to devour. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does not take a day off. And if you have the blood of Christ on your life, if you're redeemed, you're walking with Jesus as your savior, you have eternal purpose on your life. So like he, like not coming to scare you, but like he's going to come for you. He's going to come for your relationships. He's going to come for your thought life. Don't be surprised. Like also, I think there's this place where shame could just so hold us in this like dungeon of despair Mm -hmm. of like, I can't believe you sinned. I can't believe you looked at that. I can't believe Mm -hmm. you sinned sexually. And like, it could just keep us in isolation from the family of God, from God himself. And it's like, that is a tactic of the enemy and we have to recognize it. Like shame, shame isn't, shame is not all bad. It's not, no. You know what shame's for? It's a motivator. It's a whip. Move. Yeah. Don't stay in it. Move. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, to drive us to something better. God put it there that we might be like, oh man, this isn't, like it's a sense of I am not aligned. That's what shame is, a sense of I'm not aligned. And so move to alignment. Not to alignment to with anything, but like anything in the world, but to alignment with what is true and what is right and what is loving. And that is the Lord himself. Yes. Move from that shame into alignment. Yeah. It's for our good. Yeah. But if you stay there, that's not what it's meant for. Exactly. Don't let it become a prison. Like don't let it there. But yeah, there's toxic shame and there's healthy shame. And that's kind of what you just made the, the distinction between. But like, like seriously, like when we think about this and we're talking now, like specifically about sexual sin or moving back into that realm, um, like, we just want to recommend some resources. And I know there are things that you've used. There's things that, like, I've recommended or, like, been a part of different ministries. But, like, again, like, if you're like, man, I, like, I want to start waging war on my sin. Like, if, if any device in your pocket, in your home is an issue, and, like, we're going to talk about pornography in, like, one minute, so brace yourself. Um, like, download the Fortify app. Download the Freedom app. Like, this is not a, these are not silver bullets, but this is a heck of a good start. 
Like, put blockers on your phone. Get a light phone. Get a, like, get a flip phone if you're like, I cannot. Like, we had this conversation before because it's like, oh, it doesn't have a calendar. The light phone only has a nav. It has a GPS, guys. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, but, like, this has, like, taken back, like, reclaimed the lives of people, like, I know and love. Like, people that have worked at this church, people in my, like, these are steps that seem so crazy to the world again, but it's like, swim upstream, you will save your, yourself presently, your mind, your heart, your relationships now, your relationships in the future. Like, join a recovery group. There's this great, I mean, if you've ever heard of a ministry called Pure Desire, they have podcasts, they're awesome. There's groups for men and women. If you're struggling with any form of sexual sin or addiction, whether it's pornography, whether it's like physical sex, whether it's like even just like places in your heart where like I really struggle with the concept of intimacy, like join the groups, Therapists run them. They're great. They're beautiful. Like, I have been in groups on the other side with, like, people who have, like, been affected by sexual sin. Like, they're awesome. Or, like, seek professional counseling. Like, there is no shame in asking for help. The enemy will so convince you that you can do it on your own. It's okay. You're better than you were. But if this is eating you alive, owning you, and, like, you feel like it's destroying your relationships, like, do something about it. Do something about it. I think that's the biggest lie of like, I'm not sick enough. I'm not like, this isn't bad enough, but like, go for it. Yeah. It's habit forming. These things like they're, they're again, corrosive to us. And like, I will speak as someone who has like had to engage in these resources and like given them to other people. And it has like saved relationships Mm -hmm. and it saved sanity. And you mentioned something that we were talking about just a little bit ago earlier this week, as we were talking about, what do we even say? Um, And like, I'm, some of you may be like, oh, like, like she said, like, oh, I'm not sick enough or whatnot. But the, it might, sometimes might be the other end of like, ah, uh, I can't. I, no, I need that. And you might feel like you don't have control to say no. But probably most of the things that you say, I need that, you don't actually need it. It's just more convenient for you. Mm-hmm. And acknowledging that distinction actually sets you free to be like, oh, I have the power to change this. I don't need that. It is more convenient for me, but that means I can choose to use it or not use it. Like I, my calendar or things like that, it's like, oh, no, I need, this comes out of earlier. I, we were having this conversation about like, if I just got a flip phone, that'd be really nice, you know, for all sorts of things. I wouldn't be distracted with the kids because I'm like in the house and it's like, oh, I need a new plug for the sink. You know what I'm talking about? Where not the, not the garbage disposal is, the other thing? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's like, oh, I need one of those. And then it's like, oh, Amazon, you know? And like Isaac's like, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I got to get the plug thing for the sink. What a moron. I'm an idiot. Like my son, my child calling for daddy, right? Anyway, okay, sidetracks. Yeah. But like, <laughs> We were talking about this, and, and I was like, oh, man, like, yeah, I'd love to do that, but it's just I, I have to have email on my phone for work, and I've got to, ha- like, have a calendar that, like, syncs with all my other stuff. Otherwise, stuff's going to get really messy. And it just, like, was like this, like, d- wait, do I need it? Oh, no. I can find other ways. Yeah. I can find other ways. I'm not yeah. slave to... It felt like I can't do this. Right. But no, you can. You just have to choose to do it. Is it worth Is it? worth it? That's yeah. the real question. Is it worth it? And 
I just want to free some of you, hopefully, to think that like you actually can make this choice. You're not a slave to doing things the way you've been doing them. Like you can make these choices. Yeah, and it could inspire choices in others. Like that can bring their freedom. Maybe I'll get a flip phone. Maybe I'll find out later. (laughs) Now you'll know. You'll be the first to know. But yeah, so I mean, I warned you, so we're gonna talk about this. But one example of this, one example of this thing that can have such a hold on our lives is pornography. And I think it's something that is so common and that can be so ubiquitous that sometimes we kind of forget, either we know it's bad, but then we're like, oh, we're too ashamed to talk about it. Or we were just like, we're not even sure how to make war on it. And like, just wanna, just wanna give, give some general, general insight. Some of you might know these things, great. But 35% of internet downloads in a day worldwide are pornography related. 35% a day. Over a third. Over a third in the world. Like, this is a worldwide thing. And it is an issue that has escalated, like, astronomically with the advent of the internet, social media. And, like, again, we talked about that, like, this is, this is a very common thing. So, like, we also want to be like, hey, we're, we're, in a, we're all in this conversation together. We're not trying to point, like, two people out in the room, like, this is a big deal. Um, but like, we also want to talk about this side of things. Like, people who use pornography, like statistically, there's been studies on mental health, regularly report higher rates of loneliness, depression, and anxiety. It, it's a naturally isolating event. Like, it's it's solo sex, which is actually devoid of intimacy. And again, I say that not to be like, and who would do that? Like a lot of people, a lot of people do that. Like it's, this is like, this is the reality. And I, I say this like in this room together, like again, not to shame, but like we need to confront reality. We need to confront its impact on you, on others. And like, again, like let's just talk statistics, like people younger and younger using pornography, like in teenagers, teenagers, Frequent porn use, again, like, is being linked to loneliness, major depressive episodes. It increases marital infidelity rates, ready, by more than 300%. 300% if a, if a spouse is using pornography regularly. 68 of divorce cases involve one party meeting someone else online. 68%, while 56 of divorce cases involve one party having, quote, an obsessive interest in pornographic material. And then new studies are beginning to show that there's a link between porn consumption by men and women's eating disorders and depression if you're a partner of someone. And I'm sure it's the same, some same stats for men because women are also a third of users. And then not to mention like what stats don't show, which is the spiritual component. Again, this is ground that the enemy is trying to take from the people of God because sex is meant to bless and sexuality is part to be this healthy part of our existence. But I think, like, again, just, like, I, I say that, again, not to shame us, but it's, like, we have to understand this isn't just an isolated instance that we fall into sometimes. Like, this has a real effect on our relationships. Like, whether your partner or whoever in your life, like, knows this is a part of your life or not. There's a spiritual sense, like Corinthians was talking about. When we sin against our bodies, this sin never stays in isolation. Mm-hmm. It's always going to bleed out into our lives. And, like, we just want to call these things out of, like, it's harmful, it's harmful, and we as the people of God like want to move forward together, whatever it takes. Yeah, it's harmful on everybody, yeah. not just you. Like, have you ever thought about like that God put you on earth for a purpose? That there's good he put in you, and he wants the world to know it and experience it? 
He wants you to be a flourishing emblem of his glory and goodness in this earth. And so if we're not operating in ways that align with him, we're robbing the world of all the good that God wants to do in and through us. Like in a way, we're robbing those people who are close to us from the best we could give them. Yeah. Don't you want the people around you who you love the, to have the best thing possible? And the best thing you can give them isn't like a new Ferrari. It's actually like <laughs> a life that is devoted to the Lord. Yeah. That is surrendered to him saying, Lord, search me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way within me and lead me in your way everlasting. Because even like porn, like it is, it is the opposite of what we're actually called to do. If you want deep relationships, porn is training you in completely the opposite direction. It's literally training you. Like porn isn't just a bad thing for your mental health. Though, as she said, and there's lots of stats on this, it overwhelmingly is. Like it overwhelmingly is terrible for mental health. It isn't just an isolating thing. Though it totally is. Again, if, you, if you're like a data person, there's tons of data on this. But there's also just like the moral reality ethic of like, hey, that makes sense. <laughs> like what God calls us into. It isn't just an isolating thing, though, though it very clearly robs people of their ability to connect personally with others. Yeah. It's also a narrowing thing. It's a shallowing thing. It removes depth of who you are how you interact with others, of your understanding of yourself, of your understanding and perspective on other people. It sh literally makes relationships shallower and shallower and shallower mm -hmm. because it shapes how we view others. Like it, it, it's a narrowing thing because it's channeling a person's passions and pursuits into a single, lifeless, self-serving hunt for another dopamine hit. Mm. How frivolous is that? What's that going to do for the sake of the good of humanity? Like, I think we can all think of, like, the drug addict on the street and we can, who's just under some bridge somewhere and just out of their mind have no resemblance of who they actually are. And we can, we can look at that and say, wow, how sad. How sad. Ah, oh, if only they would, like, they're missing, like, there's life there. There's a person here, and there's, there's value there, and, and it's just wasting away in this cloud of whatever's going on up there because of these drugs. And yet, there's an element of this that's true, especially if we're steeped in porn. Yeah. There's something better, a wholeness that is missing, that we're, that, that we're missing out on, that, that's just wasting away. Yeah. This isn't something to tackle one day. It's something to tackle now because it's not about, well, one day someone will have to deal with this with me. I want to fix it so I don't harm whoever I'm, in, I'm with. Fix it now because you're missing out on good things right this very moment. Yeah. Like, like go for it. I, lo I love what Jesus says in John chapter 8. He says, uh, truly, truly, he says it twice, so you better listen. I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. Mm. It's slavery. It's bondage. Like porn is, the, is psychological slavery that keeps us from the fullness of life and relationship that God desires for us with him, with others, and even with ourselves, how we view ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I might skip ahead a little bit because we're going to Yeah, whatever. Doesn't okay, matter. doesn't matter. Okay, doesn't matter, guys. Buckle up. Hope you've got <laughs> snacks. Um, 
But yeah, I think I think some. We'll do one last song. We'll do one last. Yeah, Jake, you can sit back down. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> but truly, like I, I think, like the point of one, of, yeah, just like a point to consider is like when you are, anytime you are seeking like a solo sex act, because that's what that's what porn is like. You can't be rejected. You don't know those people. Oftentimes, like, and we'll talk about this later, but like. It's not just that you could be harming yourself and others, but like you have no idea the conditions or like the person's life on that screen. You do not know if that was consensual. You don't know how old they are. God forbid sometimes you do and you know that that's illegal. There's things that like we as the people of God need to protect the people of God, right? But but in that too, like all you're doing when you are so desensitized when you're on a screen, like their brain actually does this dissociative thing. Like, do you know that even when you FaceTime people, you kind of dissociate and you're like, they're not real. Like, but it it just happens. You don't even have a choice. And what you're seeking in that is yourself. And guess what? You're just gonna find yourself. You're gonna you're gonna end up right where you started. How lonely. How lonely. Actually, and I would can I would even argue like worse. Like worse. Because, like, you are distracting yourself and you're going for, like, your expectation is that intimacy and that richness and that fulfillment. So no wonder we have to go back and back and back. There's a reason that, like, sex is addicting. Even pornography, it's like a drug. You take a little bit, you need a little bit more. Okay, that that didn't work this time. I need something a little bit racier. I need something maybe a little bit violent. Like, I... It's and it's just true. I'm just gonna say it. Like this is the t- this is not this is not pornography that existed 20 years ago. It's not. I, I'm gonna just make the bold claim. Like there's no such thing as safe porn. There isn't. Like if we look at the UN's definition of like what like human trafficking is. Like did you know that like the sex trade is the largest slave trade to date in the world? Like in all of history. In all of history. In all of human history. And the UN and the Office on Drugs and Crime defines trafficking as any situation with force, coercion, abduction, fraud, deception, abuse of power or vulnerability, or giving payments or benefits to a person in control. And like, we just have to wake up that's like, as the people of God, like, we're called to love and protect the most vulnerable. We're called to love and protect, and it like, it doesn't matter, it could be a free site that you're on, Someone else could be coercing or paying. Again, there is just like the cases here. Like there's 40 million web searches that have revealed that the most popular term, like the most popular term for sexual search was youth. On Pornhub, it's teen. Like globally, like it's a $97 billion industry where people are profiting on the most vulnerable. And again, like I'm not saying the shame, but like again, it's like, it's okay to be like, whoa, like we gotta wake up. Like we like if Christ like gave you new life to like save and redeem and reconcile, like this is an easy place to start. It's an easy place to start. And like I know like if you're like in it and you're like, this is I've been trying, like I'm not trying to say like do like you should have done better, quit years ago. It's like no, like but I'm saying like I'm cheering you on, saying like, yes, keep going, keep waging war on this, like, yes, like we should be people that like hate this. Don't, but don't, don't get to the point you just hate yourself and you give up. Like, don't, don't do that. Like, there's so much more in you. You had said something uh, earlier when we were talking about war and why people go to war. And I thought yeah. That was really okay. Yeah. yeah. So like, we're talking about war and it's like, okay, obviously the world is 
a mess and it's evil and people go to war for all the wrong reasons. But typically, in, in the person's mind going to war, they don't go to war for just the sake of destruction, right? Like even what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, like these areas, like people go to war because they want to claim something. To gain. Because they want to gain something. Yeah. And I think it's the same is true of this. Like whatever we're warned against, whether it's like your thing is like this primarily sexual sin or it's something else, like we go to war because we have something to gain. And again, it's this idea of like whatever we're giving up is worth it. But like there is something to gain, even if you feel like I'm exhausted, I've tried everything. Like that is also why we have the family of God. That is why we have groups and communities and resources. But like, man, again, like we want to be regrown as people of compassion, to regain sensitivity, to regain like what health is. And like that is available. Mm -hmm. I just believe that Christ is stronger. Like I, I really do. Um, something that Sarah had talked about early, or earlier when we were talking before tonight, uh, just about the reality that like there's this dance going on. If, if it's relational, there's always this like there's an interaction that's happening, and of course, po porn like that can't happen. It, it's one way. There's no, there's nothing going on here except except erotic attraction, and it's entirely devoid of relationship, and so you're robbed of the dance. And the dance is so much of the fun. It's so much of the fun. I think that's why so many people, when, when you're like dating or whatnot, like when you first have that like, oh, I really like them, and then you find they like you, there's this like, oh. <laughs> uh -oh. Right? <laughs> like like the, the excitement isn't, isn't the predict predictability. It's the like, let's see where this, let's see where this goes. Okay, right? And I want you to know that doesn't end. It doesn't end. Even when you get married, like, like sex in, in marriage, it's this process of relational discovery. Mm. It's constant discovery. Like it was and it is and it will always be a process of discovery. And, and Amy and I have been in this process of discovering one another sexually and in every other way. And, and we'll continue to do that till we're 90 or until one of us dies. Like, we're going to continue to do that. Those are your marriage vows. That is, those are the vows. Welcome. Boy, if you didn't think about that yet, start thinking. <laughs> it's important. We're going we're gonna to do, we're gonna do that because, because there is no room for boredom, boredom when it's relational. Yeah. There's no room for boredom when it's relational because it's always changing. It's dynamic. When it's purely physical, sure, sure, there's probably room for boredom. Mm -hmm. But when it's relational, there's constantly more to know and understand. It never ends. It never ends. And for Amy and I, like, honestly and truthfully and straightforwardly, like, for us, this process of relational discovery, sexually, porn caused issues and challenges for us in, in our relationship. Like, past experience with others complicated this process of discovering one another. And even, in a way, almost unbeknownst to us, false expectations from popular culture, it was a stumbling block for us in this process of relational self-discovery. But what we've navigated these things, and the Lord has led us through them and passed them to this like whole and freeing understanding and experience of our sexuality. And I'm so, so thankful for it. And I want to spare you of any of the burdens that we have had to suffer through to understand this process for all that it can be and all that it is. Yeah. To actually see the never-ending horizon that it is yeah. of knowing one another and enjoying one another and discovering one another. Like, 
The depth and power of our covenant relationship is abundant because of God bringing our perspectives and our hearts in alignment with him on sexuality. And it truly is this like ever widening horizon is before us when we keep our hearts and our minds aligned in this way with one another. I can, I can just know Amy and love Amy and enjoy my wife and her enjoy me when, in, when we have this understanding, this, we pursue this relational sexual perspective that the scriptures direct us to. It's just unending. Yeah. And that may be a mystery to you. You're like, mm-hmm. what? I don't get it. Yeah, neither do I. There's a mystery to all this stuff. And that's a part of what makes it so awesome. Yeah. Is it's a mystery. Yeah. Like if it's purely physical, yeah, boredom is possible. And that's probably why, that's a part of why like porn can just escalate, 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 escalate. There's never enough. But when it's embraced as the relational well it was created to be, there's a never-ending novelty. Yeah. Never-ending novelty. As the knowing and being known and appreciating and, and being appreciated, it just continues on and on and on. But porn, of course, it trains us for this mindset and perspective that is literally antithetical. It's like the, literally the other side going the entire other direction of this like life-giving sexual identity yeah. as a part of the abundant life Jesus is calling us to, yeah. to enjoy. Yeah. Well, moving from one hot topic to the next... Um, Brian, can we talk a little bit about masturbation? Yeah. Great. No one else is excited. Awesome. Is it because I said it? Is that weird? It's okay. <laughs> no, I don't think so. All right. We'll, we got to talk about this. We, we got to talk about it because nobody else is talking about it. Well, other people are, but we need to, as a church, be talking about it. People of God, we will talk about masturbation. Yeah. So, so this question, right? Is it beneficial and permissible, or is it harmful and outside the will of God? I hope you've asked that question. No, you haven't. Well, you should know. Okay. Here we are. And of course, when we have questions of, of this nature, we should go to the source, right? Let's go to the Bible. Boom. Well, there are some passages, some specific passages that over the centuries, like people have pointed to as being like specific, explicit on masturbation. And I'm going to be straightforward. I don't think the connection is that strong. Um, a, a lot of those passages, they speak about things that are sexual and different things, but like the masturbation topic, it feels a little bit like it's getting shoehorned into that. And, and so I don't, I don't see that the Bible speaks explicitly, declaratively about masturbation. Mm. But, 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 explicit silence does not negate the implicit. Yeah. And, and that's what we've been talking about all tonight, right? Like, relationality of sexuality. And that's clear throughout the scriptures. It's, it's clear throughout it. And so um, there are those that say that since masturbation is not explicitly condemned, it is not sinful, and that it can be done in isolation from lust. And of course, there's others who would contradict that. And, and I don't think I can say with absolute, I know that I can't say with absolute authority, like this is what God says on the subject. And so I'm not going to do that not going to do that tonight. But what I will do, what I am going to do is share my own personal conviction and you can do with it whatever you'd like. Sound good? Great. Um, so first, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that not everything that is permissible is beneficial. Hmm. 
And so I have this law written on my own heart, on my heart, by the Spirit. And, and there's two things that are at play in this. So the first is this, that I don't want in isolation what God created for me to experience in relationship. Yeah. I don't want associations of arousal that escape the beauty of my relationship with Amy. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I don't want patterns of connection formed with me, myself, and I. I don't want that. Like, I, I, I don't think that's helpful for me. I, I know that's not helpful for my marriage. I, I, that's dishonoring to Amy to experience that away from her and apart from her, this thing that's meant for her. And so for, for me, I, I, I know it's dishonoring to God because I know it's dishonoring to my wife and to myself. And so for me, it's sin. Now, the second thing is that I can't imagine a way to do it without lusting. I just can't imagine that. Uh, may, it might be possible, but I, I can't imagine it. Yeah. And, and I don't know how to do that without objectifying another in my imagination. And, and that might be a, a part of my past patterns, maybe. I don't know. But, but I do know that it's not something that is worth testing. Yeah. It's not something that's worth testing for me. Yeah. I don't want to test it. So, so I don't think I can say with absolute authority that this is the way it has to be, but I think there is wisdom uh, in these two things that I've shared. Yeah. And, and I think that if you are prudent, you will long consider them. Yeah. You'll at least consider them. Yeah. So especially given all that we've been talking about tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm in agreement with you. I think as like mm-hmm. a single person and like, again, as someone where like, this was something I talked about like early on in college with women that I trusted. It's like, I have wrestled a lot with this scripture. I've wrestled a lot with this concept of like, what is healthy, what's not. I know there is a little, there can be a difference between men and women and like how arousal happens with like visuals or not. But I think something you said was like so important. It's like the associative degree. It's like anytime there's a chemical reaction in your brain, it's going to form a neuropathway. And you're going to start associate really strong actions, especially orgasm, with whatever you're doing. And I think there is this time where it's like, do I want to, like, yeah, be self-associative with that? Because that's not going to go away when you're married. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, think, I think it's just, again, like those things that are considering, and I've landed at a, a similar place to you, even like not having an, like a spouse or like an outlet for that. But it's, I think, considering that, like, okay, that's just an integrity line that I've drawn for myself. But, like, even if you're in a different place, like, just it is worth considering. And if you haven't landed on, like, a line for that, it's, like, just, like, we just encourage you to land on a line for that mm-hmm. and know why and, like, take it to the Lord, take it to trusted community. Mm-hmm. Don't just be frivolous because, like, these patterns are, they can be hard to break. Yeah. It can be hard to break. So with that. Um, this is our last thing. If, okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, last last section. Last second, you guys are like, okay. But I'll just say, thank yeah. you guys for hanging in here. Yeah. And I, I know this is going long, really long, but like, this is important, I think. And so if you need a balance, it's cool, I understand. No, we're not offended. But yeah. we're going to keep going because I think it's important just to finish out what we've got yeah. here. Yeah, so. catch us, catch us on the podcast tomorrow. You can re-listen to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I think this this kind of goes next into kind of what I talked about of like, okay, what like what's the importance of actually like having sexual boundaries prior to marriage when you're in a relationship? And I think like it, this is and it's hard because it's like this sounds so antiquated to say, but like why is it worth not 
sleeping together, like if you are engaged or in a committed relationship, like Mm -hmm. there's statistics out there, like some of us have heard it, like research still shows that like you have 33% higher of a chance of divorce if you like live together before you're married. And that's a secular statistic. Like that's not just like Tim Keller made that up. Like there's this research institute, like literally in Washington, that's like committed to studying marriage just to be like, this is an important part of society. Like, so clearly there's some correlation there, but like why, you know, like why, what's beyond the statistics? Yeah. It's so interesting how the the statistics are so clear and that, and this is from entirely secular places that it's just like, wow, we, it's not even that they, they're like, wow, we can't deny this. Like, that's surprising. They're just like, yeah, this is really clear. Like, it's yeah. not surprising to these researchers, which is, well, of course, it aligns with Scripture, but that's not what they're seeing. But, it, but it's there. Like, God knows what he's talking about. He knows what he created. And so um, I think there are many people who... Um, are either willfully ignorant or willfully disobedient. Mm. And it doesn't have to make logical sense. Like, it, it doesn't. Like, like I said earlier, this is a mystery after all, a lot of this. And it's a mystery, like the complex integrated nature of like, it's, it's a, it's mysterious, but that mystery does not negate the value of obedience to God. Yeah. It just doesn't. Yeah. I think we talked about, and again, I am in agreement with you because it, yeah. But like, I think there's this common reframe about like commitment and love and like, there's people in my life who love very much where this is the truth where it's like, but we love each other. So like, it doesn't matter as long as it's not of less, it's love. So like it doesn't doesn't that count for anything? And I think something we just talked about was like, but if it's an issue of love and you say that it's love, like and God has made a command clear, like it is a failure to love God. It's putting another person above God, it's putting a preference above God. And I'm not saying there's things in scripture, it's like you really gotta dive in and there's context and all of that. But it's like, man, like I think and I see this in my own life, there's so many times where I'm like, I make my preference and I put love in the placeholder of, like, God. Because love isn't just a feeling. It's an action. It's a commitment. It's a surrender. Mm-hmm. It's not insisting on your own way. Like, yeah. that's what Corinthians defines as love. And if God is the one enacting these commands on our life, like, it's for good. Yeah. If we're to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love another it's, as ourself. If it's for love, we need to wrestle with that. Yeah, at least wrestle. Yeah, a practical example of this in my life um, is um, so there were boundaries that Amy and I pushed before we were married, and um, it was actually after we were married uh, that I was convicted that that I need to ask Amy for forgiveness, and that was really impactful. It was really impactful. Like that conversation we had, it actually shaped our marriage and how we understood one another and how we interacted sexually. Uh, it shaped so much. It, it really impacted our marriage. And like this was like years after we'd been married. We'd been married for years. And, and that thing, that thing from before we were married was something that God just convicted me. Like you need to ask Amy for forgiveness for pushing that boundary. And of course, like it was mutual. <laughs> like 
like two, it takes two to tango, right? But like God had convicted me. And so I initiated and I owned my piece of it. And I said that I need to ask for your forgiveness and Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. And it freed her. Yeah. It freed her to do the same. Yeah. And, and that like brought more freedom in our relationship, sexually, emotionally, all of it. And, and like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even thought, I didn't, I didn't even think that it would be an issue. Like we're married. So that kind of took care of that. Right. Like, I mean, well, I married her, so no big deal. Moving on. Like it, it's resolved, but it wasn't resolved. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, it wasn't, there's something there that, that was not resolved. We still had that thing and it needed to be confessed and it needed to be repented from. And that act of mutual confession, like years into our marriage, opened up blessing. It opened up blessing. Like it's, it's, a, it's a marker in our marriage of like, wow, new things. Yeah. And I don't, I can't totally explain it. Like, but there's something to it. Like, like obedience and resolve to keep the marriage bed pure. God, God knows what he's doing and he knows what he's calling us to. Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. Home stretch, guys, home stretch, here we go. Um, so I think that's so good. I think that's so good. And I think it's understanding, again, the choices right now that we're making as single have everything to do with blessing that we reap now and potentially in the future. Um, so let's talk about the in-between. You've talked, you've, you've talked from the married man's side. I'm gonna... Listen up, singles and dating. This one's for you. Um, all right. So, um, okay. So you're not living together, sleeping together, hypothetically, or maybe you are. How, like, how do you honor one another in dating? Like, how do you do this? And and I'm really just gonna hone in on like two things. And the first is this: it's honesty. Honesty in dating when it comes to all things, including sexual sin. We were talking to a friend, you were talking to a friend earlier, and she pointed out that the root of honesty is honor. Sabrina Dawson, thank you for that. And it's like radical honesty radically honors people. It radically honors people. Like Romans 12, 10, we're called to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And we talked about this before, but when you're dating, it's like there are two categories, sister, brother, husband, wife. And we, oh, we love to botch that line, don't we? But it's to our own peril when we do. But like going back to this idea of like, what, like what really is love? Like we look at Corinthians 13, like classic wedding verse, but like it says nothing about warm and fuzzies. It says love is patient. It is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with the truth. And I would just think I want to plead to you, like if you are in a relationship and you have deep hidden sexual sin that you are like, I got this on lock. I ain't talking about this. Like you need to tell someone and you need to give your partner the opportunity to, for them to have the agency to know what to do with that. Because if you marry someone, you're inviting them into your war, right? And there's certain points in our life where we just have to say, like, is this healthy for the other person? Is this healthy? Like, I've been on the other side of this coin where the person was not radically honest, and it destroyed us. It absolutely destroyed us. And it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't have redemption and hope and a future and life, but I will tell you, nothing will get your relationship faster than deception, 
in any area, especially when it comes to infidelity, because that's what sexual sin is. Like, let's just be honest. Like, all sexual sin is a form of infidelity. And I think, again, there's no shame. Like, if someone's like, hey, I'm down. Like, if you're waging war, but it's like, I think it's asking the question, like, are you being honest with yourself? Like, are you waging war on your sin? And are you being radically honest where, with, where, with your, where you're at with it? Because kind of the next question that we want to address is like, should sexual brokenness be healed together or separately? Especially like if you're dating, you're in that stage and you're like, you're not yet married and you're like, we're hitched for life. Like based on the above, like looking at 1 Corinthians 13, like there needs to be an understanding that to love someone is to be truth, truthful, patient, and selfless with them. Mm-hmm. That again, like when you're with someone, like you are not in self-preservation mode where you're like, if they knew, they might leave me. Give them that choice. Give them the freedom and agency to love all of you. And when we, we talked about this, like radical honesty doesn't mean you're like, let's sit down and go over a list of like every time I've looked lustfully at, no, like you need to have your people, your partners, not your accountability person or your relational partner. But there is a point where it's like, Honesty can so set you free. It can so set you free. And like, Brian, you've said this before, but like, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You break up. You can get back together. But I think also like, surprise, surprise, I'm a pastor of the savior complex, but like sometimes we could be in relationships with people and be like, I can help you. Like, I can fix you. This is my war to fight with you and you're not married. And that, that the weight, like you don't have the covenant to hold that weight maybe, where it's like you need to release them into their own time of like healing and waging war so they have the tools, they have the resources so they can show up and be available and you can show up and be available in a way that's not just minimizing damage in your relationship, but you're adding blessing. Because like Brian's mentioned, like don't expect a perfect relationship, don't expect a perfect marriage, don't even expect a marriage without some of these components of sexual sin. But like we need to be radically honest because nothing will break a relationship faster than deception or like the pride of thinking like I got this on my own. Mm-hmm. So like just again something to consider, and then just like a point of clarity from last week because like we talked about First Corinthians seven seven eight and like Brian Howard talked about like to be married to the unmarried and the widow like it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry, for it's better them to marry than to burn with passion. And like we talked about, like marriage isn't a silver bullet, but also like if you can't control yourself. And like in that same vein, we just want to make a very clear distinction that there's a difference between desire, like burning with passion and disorder. Because like, again, it's that selfless question of like, am I ready to bring, like we bring our sin into relationships. Can you like look at your partner and be like, I want to bring this in. I want to bring as it is right now. It might be a war for the rest of your life, but as you are right now, like, is this something you're ready to bring in? Because marriage is not going to fix that. The habits that you have in your singleness or dating, like, you're going to bring those right into marriage. And this isn't like a never get married until you're perfect. Like, that doesn't exist. No one would be married. But at the same time, it's like, we need to take this hard look at ourselves and be like, am I ready to be a blessing to someone with the way that I'm counteracting or interacting with my sin? And like, it's worth the time you can take. Because like, again, sex is not the silver bullet to your sexual addiction or deviance. Marriage is not the silver bullet to your sexual addiction or deviance. That will never be it. Mm-hmm. That will never be it. So just want to clear that up. Desire yeah. disorder, two different things. Yeah. And just to touch back on the, the honesty piece, I think that's really good. Um, that you can have truth without honor. Yeah. 
Um, but you can't have honor without truth. Yeah. And that's kind of where honesty comes in. It's speaking yeah. the truth while still honoring the person. Yeah. So if you're like, I don't know what that means or how to do that, that's fine. You're not alone. Yeah, uh, also, every situation is different, but that's why we have one another. Yeah. So bring it to someone that you trust. Bring it to someone who has wisdom and be like, I got this thing and I need to share it. I think I need to share it. What should I share? When? How? Like, you don't have to figure that out on your own. Yes. We have yes. each other. Yeah. Like, go to somebody who you trust. Go to multiple people who you trust and get input. Yeah. Thank you guys for hanging in there. You're, a bunch of people are like, yeah, yeah, I got to go to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> We've already seen you have left. Don't so, worry. So okay, 20 of you. Impromptu, I'm going to stand up. So impromptu thing. Do okay. Stand up. Be bold, people. Be honest. We got this, right? Okay. Um, it's 9 o'clock. This is really late. We've been up here so long. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to pray and we can close out. But this is actually because I just want to know what's actually best for the room. So uh, if you're like, I really feel like we need to, like, I'm here to go into a time of worship. Um, I, just raise your hand. And if you're not into that, then that's cool. We'll pray and we'll end. Jackson is. Jackson. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, I'll just pray and end. And uh, <laughs> sorry, Jackson. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Thank you guys so much for hanging in there with us. And I just want to encourage you, if you have any questions or there's things you want to talk about, please come talk with us. Whether it's Sarah and I or others, um, certainly talk to people around you. Like, we need to process this stuff in community. If you're, like, keep talking about the things that we shared tonight. We're not the end-all, be-all. Like, no. we're discovering this too. And so we need to do it in community with one another and with the Lord Almighty. Cool. Prayer wall's open, and uh, I'll pray. Father God, we thank you that you are kind. Uh, Lord, that you desire what is truly good for us. And I ask that you would push these seeds as deep as they can go. The things that are actually of you from tonight, um, push them deep into each one of our hearts so that roots may grow deep and there may be a fruit from this. That it wouldn't be a quick sprout, a quick, quick sprig that shoots up and, and withers away a week from now, but that there would maybe... maybe um, depth, and that this may change and impact who we are, how we operate, and how we bring you glory uh, for the rest of our lives. We love you, Lord. We desire what you have in mind for us because it is the best thing, and we trust you. I say that uh, in faith, that we trust you, that we will trust you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for coming tonight. Uh, and we'll see you later.